Thank you for listening to the sermon audio podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. Now here's a message from our senior pastor, Brian Bond. Everybody doing today? All right, Merry Christmas. Um, Going to be preaching in Luke chapter 2. Shocker, I know. That's what we preachers live with, and on, on this Sunday every year, everybody knows exactly what we're preaching on, um, and then trying to find a way to not say exactly what you said last year or the year before. But thank goodness, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And God speaks through His Word in different ways at different times. So I'm excited about what God showed me this week, and we're going to begin with um, the birth of Jesus, and then we're going to also... Um, look at the story of the angels in a few minutes. So Luke chapter 2 is where we're going to begin. And uh, if you'd please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. At the time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he used to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there through the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, man, what a great time of worship, wasn't it? Um, appreciate our friend Zuriel coming over, and uh, um, we can play in, you know, the worship band can play in Texas now, so we're good to go. Really? Y'all don't get that? Yes. Thank you. Appreciate whoever that was. Appreciate it. You know, there used to be a saying, you, you know, you can't play in Texas unless you have a... Thank you. Okay. guess y'all just didn't think it was funny. Fine. Whatever. First service laughed, my favorite service, apparently. <laughs> but we do appreciate Zuriel coming over and being a part. And uh, man, what, a, what an awesome thing, though, to have um, talented, the talented musicians we already have in our worship band that, um, you know, really help and enhance our worship. And we appreciate all that they do and appreciate them. Um, now, interesting thing, as we look at this, um, the, the beginning of the earthly time of Jesus, and, you know, it starts out with the, the Roman emperor who decrees a census should be taken. Now, you know, I don't know about y'all, but I, th- I guess we had a census in the last year or two, and, you know, it was constantly on TV, take your census and stuff in the mail and all. I'm not even going to ask how many of you actually filled out your census stuff. But can you imagine how irritating it would have been if you had to go back to wherever your family lineage was from? I mean, David, uh, Joseph had to travel... It was over 70 miles to Bethlehem, to where his, uh, that was the city of King David. And so he, and you know, 70 miles back then was several days journey. And now you're thinking not only that, but you got a nine month old pregnant woman with you that you're traveling with, okay? So can you imagine how difficult that would have been? And I can just imagine all the griping that went along along the way as everybody's talking about having to do this because of this government decree. And one of the things that really got me thinking about was, you know, how much, you know, I, I'll, be, I'll be confessing to a little bit of this too, 
But how much uh, griping do we do about the government, you know, or about whoever might be over us? Maybe it's somebody in our corporation or the person we work for or whatever. And they make decisions that, we, that affect our lives in one way or another. And you know what? If you're sitting off in Rome, you always have a census. No big deal to you. But to a guy who's just married a, a woman who is nine months pregnant now with God's child that's not even yours, and you got to put her on a donkey and travel 70 miles, that's a big honking deal. That's a pretty big deal. And, you know, you think about it, and you're like, man, that, that, that had to have been a huge inconvenience. But here's the deal with that. Caesar may have made a ruling. He may have ruled that this census had to happen, but God is the one who's in charge. Because here's one of the things that we know. In Luke chapter 138, and we, we read it last week, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So what she's saying is, God, you're in charge. And when she said that, you know, she already knew the part about it. she was going to have a baby. And she knew she'd not been with a man. She knew it was going to cause all this trouble. She knew it was, was going to be a scandal. But then on top of that, she has to hop on a donkey at nine months pregnant and travel 70 miles. And so, but she had already said, God, whatever your plan is. Well, here's part of the deal. It had been God's plan for hundreds of years that Jesus was going to be born, not where she was, but in Bethlehem, where she had to travel to. So here's the thing. Even though Caesar may have made this proclamation or made this rule, the fact is that God was the one who was in charge. It says in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judea. See, Bethlehem was a nothing town. Hardly anybody lived there. It's one of those towns that wasn't on the way to anywhere. They didn't have a big industry of people coming through. It was a tiny little town. But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. Bethlehem, you know, now we know. I mean, when somebody says Bethlehem, everybody, oh yeah, that's where Jesus was born. But during the time when Jesus was born, Bethlehem wasn't anything. It wasn't even a bump in the road. I mean, it didn't even have a stoplight, much less a stop sign or anything else. It didn't have a sonic Sure didn't have a Dairy Queen. You're not even officially a town in Texas till you have a Dairy Queen. No Dairy Queen, no nothing. Bethlehem was nothing. It was just a little dot on a map. And yet that was where God chose for his son to be born. It wasn't in Jerusalem, which was the, it was the hub of everything. It was in Bethlehem. And so even though you could see, well, man, why in the world? Why did it have to happen right then? Because that was God's plan. Because that was the place where Jesus was going to be born. Why was it important that Jesus be born there? Because it was a sign of all the promises that had come before. You see, it didn't just happen 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. It goes back. It goes back to God telling David, hey, your, your throne's going to last forever. It goes back beyond that to God telling Abraham, 
Your ancestors are going to cover, your, excuse me, your descendants are going to cover the earth. There's going to be so many of them. It goes back beyond that to, to the Garden of Eden where the first sacrifice took place when God killed an animal to cover the sins of Adam and Eve. He covered them in animal skins. How many, how many animals do you know that give up their skin without giving up their life first? Blood was shed the first time. And it even goes back beyond that. You know, the Bible tells us that before the foundation of the world, the Lamb was slain. So the plan for Jesus to come had been, was centuries old before Jesus was ever born. And the plan of how it was going to happen was revealed through the prophets through the years. You see, when God told Abraham that he was going to be the father of many, he was talking about what was going to happen through Jesus. Now, yeah, part of that was through the Jews, but the ultimate plan was for all of us. When God told David that his throne was never going to end, he was talking about Jesus. The other part of that is, he didn't pick the richest town in Jerusalem. He picked what could have been easily the poorest. 2 Corinthians 8-9, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich yet for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty he can make you rich. You know, if I was sitting down thinking, okay, I'm going I'm to send somebody to be the Savior of the world. They're going to be the promised one. I would not have picked the tiniest little town out in the middle of nowhere for him to be born, would you? I would have picked him to be born in some big, big bustling place where everybody would hear about it, everybody would know. But God chose the poorest, the poverty-stricken. Not only that, not only did he choose that town, he picked the poorest place in the, in the poorest town. He didn't even get to be born in a house. He wasn't even born in the inn. He was born in a stable. Now, there's debate about it. Probably it was not a little wooden lean-to like you see, you know, in the little blow-ups on people's yards. It probably wasn't like that. It was probably more like a cave that had been hollowed out of rock that no person would live in, but, you know, you could stick the animals in there and they couldn't get out. It was probably more like that. And then where did they lay him? It wasn't in a crib. It wasn't in, you know, they didn't have a wedding shower for her because the very fact that she was pregnant was a scandal. And they couldn't haul it on the donkey anyway. Can you imagine? They didn't have pack and plays back then. <laughs> All right, let's stick the pack and play on the donkey and head out to drift. Wasn't nothing like that. They laid him in a manger because there wasn't anywhere else to lay him. And you know, <laughs> we sing about all the way in a manger. But because you know why? Because away in a dirty, nasty feed trough just doesn't have quite the ring to it, does it? I mean, have you seen something that animals eat out over a long period of time? It gets not so clean. And that's where they laid him. And the comfort to that should be that you know what? Jesus didn't come for royalty, he came for us. He came for us. Second part of the story says that night there were shepherds staying in the fields, guarding their flocks of sheep. Now I want to just tell you something about shepherds for a minute. You know, we have all these pictures because Jesus is called the Good Shepherd, and he came, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But we have all these kind of idealized pictures of what shepherds look like. But the fact is that shepherd, shepherding was like 
the lowest job, okay? It wasn't like the one people aspired to. It was the job people took that couldn't get another job. When, when David became the shepherd, it was because all of his brothers, he had a bunch of brothers, and they all got the good jobs, and the only job that was left when they got to David was to be the shepherd. Because nobody wanted to watch after the sheep. Because sheep are dumb, and they stink. If you've ever been around sheep, you know. And they don't just stink like when you get up close to them. They stinketh from afar. You know what I'm saying? They're smelly. And so when you're around sheep, the only way to hurt them, you didn't have a dog to send out there like a border collie. You had to get out around them with a stick and, and sometimes make them go where you want them to. So their stink got on you. And a shepherd could not walk into, he couldn't come in from his place and walk into the temple. And it wasn't even good enough to, hey, y'all, go, y'all been out with them sheep, go get cleaned up for church. That wasn't good enough either. They had to go through rituals of purification. You understand? Just a shower wasn't good enough. They had to go through all these things ritually just to be able to go into the temple. And it took several days. Can you imagine being stanky enough that you got to get cleaned up over a period of days before you can go out with the regular people? That's what it was like to be a shepherd. Okay? So he didn't, he didn't appear at the house of the richest man in Bethlehem or people in Jerusalem, hey, to tell them about that Jesus was born. There were shepherds staying in their fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And it's important to remember that he came to people that had to get cleaned up at the time, even to go to church, to come see the one who was going to eliminate all that so that we could be directly in the presence of God. And so the shepherds came straight from the sheep to see the baby Jesus. They didn't get cleaned up. They didn't stop and get a bath. They didn't go through any purification rituals. They came straight to Jesus. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the, I love this part. The radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. You talk about a Christmas light show. I mean, everybody like, at some point, whether you've done it or not, everybody goes around and looks at the lights, whether it's a few minutes or whatever. And I know I'm, I'm probably at my most judgy when I'm looking at other people's Christmas lights. I know y'all are too. Because you're driving by some going, man, whoa. No, 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 no. And then some people you drive by and you're like, you, you didn't really even care, did you? And then you drive by some people and you're like, oh my goodness. They're the reason that I don't put up lights. is because theirs are so good. And if they're like in my own neighborhood, I'm like, I, I ain't even putting mine up because people are going to be judging my house just because yours are so good. Can you imagine what it would have been like? The glory of the, the, the Lord's, the glory of his radiance surrounded them. Out in the middle of nowhere, in the pitch dark, and all of a sudden they're surrounded by God's light that would have made anybody go out and rip their Christmas lights down and put them away and never put them up again. They were that good. The radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. 
I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angels said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. You know, not only did the shepherds get to be the first ones to see Jesus. I mean, first thing, you know, Mary and Joseph, they weren't expecting company. I mean, they didn't have, you know, they're, they're in a stable. They've just had a baby, which is not exactly the neatest, cleanest procedure in the world. And now a bunch of dirty shepherds show up, tell them the angels appeared. I mean, can you imagine? Mary's got to be, oh my goodness, what in the world? First I find out I'm having a baby by God. Then I end up having to travel, travel 70 miles on a donkey. And then when it's time to have the baby, I can't even have him in the house. I'm in a, I'm in a barn. I'm in a stable. And now all these dirty shepherds show up saying a bunch of angels appeared to them. I mean, can, you talk about mind-blowing. That had to have just blown her mind. And here they are. And they're telling everybody they see about what's happened. And you know, there's a couple things. The, the thing about this and, and the, the amazing part of it, it wasn't the light show that God put on out in the heavens. And it wasn't the angels appearing, even though that, was, that had to have been pretty amazing. It was the fact that God became flesh. God became flesh. You know, there's, there's no other. There are all kinds of um, you know, the, the Bible tells us that God has put eternity in the hearts of men. There's something in man that knows there's something bigger than us. And so all cultures have made up, you know, that's one of the things that's common to every culture is they, they've made up some kind of story or come up with some kind of reason of how to explain. But nobody could have come up with this. That the God who spoke the universe into existence you know, I want you to think about that for a minute. How much study have you done about the sun? All is, you know, it's got this gases, it's this temperature, and it does this and all that. But do you know what? That it, there was a moment where it didn't exist. And then God said, let there be light. And then it existed. The same God that did that is now in the form of a helpless baby. God became flesh. And not just like God appeared down here as a grown man, God came as a baby. I mean, that is, that's really, really mind-blowing. Can you, can you imagine having that much power, and now all of a sudden you have lowered yourself to where 
you can't feed yourself. You can't, you can't even, if you're itchy, you can't even scratch yourself. You know, your hands going everywhere, feet moving around, can't talk, can't say, hey, I'm a little chilly. Would you mind handing me a blanket? Nothing. You went from saying, let there be light, and the sun came into existence to laying there having nothing that you can do for yourself. I mean, it, it really is mind-blowing. 1 Timothy 3.16, without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. Christ was revealed in a human body and vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels and announced to the, to the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to glory, taken to heaven in glory. I mean, no, nobody else. Satan couldn't even come up with a lie that compares to that. And you know, Jesus didn't just come and then go right to the cross. He lived for 30 years without performing a single miracle, just living like we do. You see, there's no one else, there's no other religion or whatever that you could go to where you can go to the, the one who's the head of it, go to their God and say, God, life's hard. And have God respond back, I know. God, there's so many temptations, I know. See, that's the, the blessing is we don't have a high priest, the Bible tells us, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He was tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. You know, you might, teenagers, you might tell your parents, y'all just don't understand. We actually do. We were teenagers once. But you know what? You can't tell Jesus that because he was a teenager. But God, it's hard being alone. Yeah, I know. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and his disciples kept falling asleep, he was alone. And you know what? <laughs> Can you imagine growing up to be Jesus? You ain't got no steady job. You ain't got no girlfriend. You're sticking out. You, you're alone in a lot of ways. Everybody else is like, yeah, I'm going to get married. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to save the world. It had to have been alone. You understand what that's like? You know, one of the reasons he came to the shepherds is because he was going to be, he came to be the good shepherd. You know, shepherds in that day and age, they carried a crook and they would use it. You know, they, they, there was a, a, a curved part on the end of it so they could grab the sheep. They were trying to run off or if they got stuck somewhere. And the other end of it was for whacking them a little bit because sometimes sheep are dumb. And you need to be directed, sheep did. It says in John 10, 2-3, that the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. That image of the shepherd was important for us to see and for us to grasp. And then the second part 
why he came to the shepherd was because he also came to be the Lamb of God. You know, the perfect lambs were, were taken to the temple and they were used as a sacrifice. See, all the way back to Genesis where I talked about earlier, there was a sacrifice for sin. The shedding of blood to cover man's sin. But it couldn't last. Because an animal can't cover a man's sin for a long time. God did that in His mercy. And so there were lambs that were sacrificed to cover man's sin for a period of time. And, and that's what Jesus came for, was to be the once only sacrifice. It says in John 1.29, John the Baptist said, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And see, that's every religion acknowledges this problem. And here's the problem. The problem is that you, you, you have to recognize that there is some greater life form. There's God. And that every religion recognizes it in some way or another. But they also realize there's a problem. And that is that, that men and women, that we are wicked people. We're born when you're like, I'm not weak. We're all wicked. We would all, if we could get away with it, and if, you know, now I'm not saying you're not making right choice, you're not trying to please God now, but there's a point where there, we have that nature. Hey, I could, I could do that. There's times we're tempted by it, and then there's times we give in to it. And you're dealing with a God who's above that without sin. And so every religion acknowledges there's a problem, and the problem is our sin. And so what, does, what do these religions tell us to do? They give answers. Hey, well, if you do this, if you sacrifice this, if you give enough, if you do enough, if you follow these rules, if you do that, then you can be okay. They give answers, but they're never quite good enough, are they? Because nobody can follow them all the time. If we could, we wouldn't be sinners. And so all these different religions... They have answers. They'll give you a, a way that something you can do to try to fix that problem. But Christianity is not a religion. See, I, I wouldn't consider myself to be a religious person. Religion is man's attempts to reach God. Christianity is God's plan to reach man. And see, the difference between Christianity and every other belief system on the world is they'll give you answers about, well, okay, here's what you do. Here's what you've got to give. Here's how you've got to be. But Christianity, the answer came to us in the form of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to give answers. He came because he is the answer to our problem. He is the answer to that sin issue that comes between us and God. He is the answer. He didn't come to give the answer, he came to be the answer. Jesus told him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
and no one can come to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus didn't come down saying, well, you, you can make this, because he knew it wasn't enough. He came down and he said, look, I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. All the other religious systems try to tell you, well, if you do this, you can be okay. And there's something in us that responds to that at some level because we want to be in control. We want to feel like, well, you know what, I, okay, I can fix this. You know, when, when, you got, when little kids are growing up, there comes a point where they all learn how to say this, I do it myself. No thanks, I'm going to do it myself. Whether they really can or not, we know they can't. But every kid wants to do it themselves at some point. And that's in us. We want to do it ourselves. I want to think, man, I could be good enough. I, if I do this, if I do that, then I could get right with God. But guess what? You can't. And so we, that's why millions of people respond to these religions that tell people, hey, you can fix this yourself. And it's hard when you hear, you can't fix it. You can't make it better. You can't be good enough. Jesus had to do it for you. See, Jesus came and was born in a stable. He was born as a baby like we are. He learned how to walk. He learned to talk. He went through every temptation that we do, yet without sin. And he lived that life so that he could be a perfect sacrifice. So that he could be the answer. And that's the significance of Christmas. You know, we, we celebrate all different ways and all different kinds of things. And, you know, Christmas parties and gifts and, you know, ugly Christmas sweaters and all that. Hey, that's all. That's fine. But don't ever lose sight of the fact that the significance of Christmas is not so that for a month out of the year we could all be nice to each other and say Merry Christmas. It's because we couldn't be good enough. And so Jesus came and did it for us. You can't come to the Father except through Jesus. But here's the good news. And that's the good news the angels came. A Messiah is born. A Messiah is born. A Savior is born to you this day in the city of David. You see, Jesus, His birth is because He came to be our Savior. To save us from what we could not save ourselves from, and that's eternal separation from God. And that's worth celebrating. You know, I used to think in my mind, what's better, Christmas, Easter, Christmas, Easter? The answer is yes. Because you can't have Easter without Christmas. And without Easter, Christmas doesn't mean anything. They're both tied together. And so celebrate it. But remember why it's important. The God of the universe humbled himself. I mean, you couldn't, he, what, what more could he have done? He went to the smallest, most obscure town 
he could find. And then, even that, beyond that, he chose to be born in the most obscure place you could imagine, where the animals lived. And then his birth, you know, God announced it. He wanted the world to know, but he announced it to the most obscure people. Not even one of them are named. It's just the shepherds. Just some dudes out watching, taking care of the flock. You don't ever hear about them again. There's no stories about the shepherds becoming great leaders later on in the church or doing this or doing that. They were unknowns. And the good, the good news in that is, you know what? I wasn't known to anybody. But God chose to seek me out and find me and tell me the good news about his son. And because of that, I'm saved. I am saved. And I know many of you have that same story. And here's the thing, if some of you don't, that's why we're here today. And we would love to share with you, just like we've been talking about today, the good news of Jesus. You see, we're all sinners. The Bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because God knew that, he sent his son. We fall short, but Jesus stands in the gap. And he took our place. He died that death on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. See, the wages of sin is death. Well, I hadn't, you know, done this or hadn't done... Hey, sin's a sin. The wage of any sin is death. It's separation from God. But Jesus came so that we wouldn't have to be separated. He died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to know death. We might taste death here on this earth, but it's momentary. The moment our, our, our spirit leaves this body, we're with God. That's what the scripture tells us. If we're in Christ. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we want to tell you how to do that. Number one, you got to admit you're a sinner like we talked about. Ask forgiveness of your sins. Number two, you got to believe that Jesus is God's son. Born of a virgin. He died on a cross for your sins and for mine and rose on the third day so that we might have life for eternity. And then the last thing is you got to confess Jesus as Lord as you trust Him as your Savior. You know, you can't come to Jesus and say, hey, I want to be saved. I want my sins forgiven. But I want to keep doing things the way I do them. That's not how it works. When you come to Christ, you got to confess Him as Lord. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, from the dead you will be dead. You will be saved. Man, I'm not drinking enough Mountain Dew this morning, apparently. So here's the thing. If you've never done that, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, it doesn't matter how much you know about God or about the Bible. It matters if you have a relationship with Him. And if you don't, I'd love to lead you in a prayer to begin a relationship with Christ. We're just going to go through those things I just talked about. You don't have to pray it out loud. You can pray in your heart. God will hear you either way. But if you'd like to know, number one, that your sins are forgiven, that you're in right relationship with God, and also that you're going to be with Him for all eternity, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me right now. So if everyone would bow your heads, close your eyes, please. If that's you, you pray it with me right now. Dear God in heaven, 
Thank you for loving me. Thank you for Jesus. God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Cleanse me. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose on the third day according to scripture. So today, I trust Jesus as my savior and I confess him as my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer today and you meant it, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up. You don't have to say anything. All I want you to do is if you prayed that prayer, I want you to look up at me right now and keep looking until I make eye contact with you, okay? All right? Okay? Just keep looking until I see you, all right? here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, here's what I want you to know. You, you, you're saved. There's a party going on in heaven. The Bible tells us angels rejoice when one sinner repents and comes to know Christ. And I want you to know that we appreciate being part of your journey. And I would encourage you to tell someone about your decision. There's a number on our screen. If you'd like to just text, I did it to that number. We would love to set up a time to talk to you in person or on the phone and just answer any questions that you may have and then talk to you about the next steps in following Jesus. You don't have to join our church. We're not going to ask you for anything. We just want to help you. If you'd rather there'll be a staff member here at the, fir- at the front of the church right after the service, come talk to them. We'd love to talk to you about it or just set up a time to talk later. So I want to encourage you to do that. Tell someone else. Tell somebody you came to church with. Tell somebody that you love that you prayed that prayer today to trust Christ. It's important you tell someone. So what I want to do right now is I want to pray for you and pray for um, all of us as we enter this Christmas season. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy and your love for us. Pray for those that made a decision today to trust you that, God, you'd help them to, to walk in your ways, that you'd send other believers in their life to encourage them, and help them. And, Father, we thank you for the decision they've made today to trust you. Lord, help each of us, Father, to remember this Christmas season what uh, the beauty of the birth of your son, Jesus. And, Lord, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Greenwood Baptist Church in Weatherford, Texas. You can find links to topics and scriptures discussed in this episode by looking at the show notes. You can find more information online at greenwood.church. If you have any questions or comments, please send an email to info at greenwoodbc.com.